Well, good morning. It's a delight to be able to join you this morning. I do apologize that I can't be there in person, but I appreciate your, your understanding for, for our situation here. And uh, we were looking forward very much to coming and being with you. And But we, we trust the Lord's wise overruling of these things. And so we look forward to, Lord willing, uh, next time that, that we can be with you. Um, I'm going to be covering quite a bit of uh, material fairly quickly. So I'm using an extensive slideshow. And possibly you wouldn't be able to uh, write down everything that's on the slideshow. But I will make the slideshow available and send it perhaps to, to Phil uh, and to Brian. And then you can get a copy of that if you if you want the notes from that. Going to start by reading from the Readerview Bible Chapel's website under the tabs Beliefs and then under Beliefs uh, the tab Mankind. It says this, that God created all human beings in his image, creating them as male and female. And all people are valued members of the human family and should be treated with respect, grace, understanding and love. And specifically, the, the topic that I have been allocated in dealing with the statement that God has created all beings in his image and having created them as male and female relates to, to the biblical roles of men and women, biblical roles of men and women. And of course, limited time, we're going to do a very brief overview. There will be many, many aspects and scriptures that we won't be able to cover in one presentation. And I would encourage you to uh, spend some uh, time on your own studying through this. What I want to present is the takeaway or the big idea uh, for our message today, this statement that men and women are created equally in the image of God with equal value and dignity, but nevertheless with distinct God-given roles and responsibilities. And I say that again, because uh, that's kind of the core of what we're going to be thinking about. Men and women are created equally in the image of God with equal, equal value and dignity, but nevertheless with distinct God-given roles and responsibilities. Now, somebody might say, oh, that's a controversial subject. Anything can be controversial if you want to make it controversial, of course, uh, but that's not helpful. Uh, what we want to do is to not shy away from difficult topics uh, but instead calmly and intelligently take time to study, to research, uh, to access all of the information available and look at different angles and different aspects, uh, different sides of the issue, uh, and then evaluate uh, the various uh, viewpoints and so on on it. And of course, in a subject like this, we need to avoid jumping to, to hasty conclusions and we need to resist making kind of knee-jerk emotional visceral responses. I think it's true that we can say that as Christians, our desire is that we want to be led by God's truth. Uh, and as a result of that, we should sincerely pray, uh, ask the Lord for understanding and for wisdom, and uh, to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide us as we diligently search the scriptures on this and, and any topic, um, because our desire is to discover God's answers, God's answers. And again, this, you know, a particular one, the role of men and women uh, is a hot button issue, not just uh, between Christians and non-Christians, but even amongst professing Christians in the, in the contemporary scene. And, and, you know, let's be careful 
that uh, our understanding of the roles and responsibilities of men and women is not primarily shaped uh, by a current culture or secular philosophy, but rather uh, shaped and guided uh, by scripture, by the word of God. Uh, you know, bear in mind that in any area, if we downplay or neglect uh, the Bible, uh, we lose our moral, we lose our spiritual footing, and uh, very quickly we find ourselves in the shifting sands of, of society's fickle opinions. So however and whatever you study on this su subject, after all the resources, opinions, perspectives that you may access uh, in your studies, uh, I pray that you will come back to settle on the ultimate authority of the Bible as the final word, uh, the final arbiter of truth, the final arbiter of what's right and wrong, what's good and bad. So as we come to the Bible, where, where should we start on this topic? Um, well, how about the beginning? <laughs> right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, we see the origin of the universe. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we're taking back right to the very foundations. And in that first chapter of Genesis, uh, in verses 26 through 28, we read specifically about the origin and creation of the human race. And what's significant is the statement that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Um, the eternal, omnipotent God is our maker. Uh, he has lovingly and carefully designed and created this world, in, including mankind. And God knows what is best for his own creation. And he's laid out a wonderful pattern for us. Uh, he gives us the boundaries of order, of balance, of, of harmony, which is it for our good, for our safety, and, and ultimately for, for our ultimate enjoyment. And he created the pattern, male and female. So, so this is not a, a social construct. Um, this is not just a superficial preference. This is part of the essence of God's design and plan for, for mankind, and, and, and we must not forget that. So male and female. Now, when we look at the scripture, when we look at nature, when we look at our own experience, we know that men and women are different. Uh, and those differences, though, are necessary. Those differences are good. Uh, and those differences are, are complementary. Uh, you know, genetically, bio biologically, physically, psychologically, emotionally, on every level, uh, there are differences between us as male and female. And, and the Lord has designed it and, and given that that's that's what's needed uh, for for human relationships. I was interested to read a, a quote from the anthropology department of Columbia University in New York, and they stated that there are structural differences between. The, the brains of men and women. And uh, it says in the adult brain, the overall cerebral size is, is larger in men than in women, but there are specific parts that are larger in women. But in regions where the volume of the structure may not be different, there may be differences in neuron density. Research has found that men tend to use one side of their brain, particularly the left side for verbal reasoning, while women tend to use both areas for visual, verbal, and emotional responses. These differences in brain brain use cause a difference in behavior between men and women. So I think we all know that from our experience, men and women are different and, and we operate differently on, on many, many levels. There, there's equality, uh, but there is also 
a difference. So if, if we go back to, to Genesis once again, when we look at Genesis chapter 1, we might assume that, that male and female were created at exactly the same point uh, as we looked at those verses in 26 through 28. But when you come into Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 18 through 24, we're given further information. And we're told there that Adam was created first, and then uh, God afterwards created Eve specifically for Adam. And she was taken from Adam from one of his ribs. And he celebrated that. He said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so a couple of truths that we see as we look at Genesis 1 and 2 is that man's role and responsibility is given at creation is that he was the head. He was the leader. And the woman's role and responsibility was as helper or assistant. Now, Paul appeals to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, key verses that we're going to look at. And he appeals all the way back to creation to, to establish uh, this, this reality. Uh, on the one hand, the male uh, headship. On the other hand, uh, the female's position as helper or assistant. Uh, and again, it's crucial that we keep this within the context of, of all of what the Bible teaches about these. And certainly when you when you look at the way it's, it's presented there in Genesis chapter 2, it says God made a helper comparable to, to Adam. Um, she was similar, uh, taken from him, but, but there were some key differences. Um, I think the King James used the phrase, uh, help meet for him. And uh, the Amplified Version says a suitable, adapted, completing helper. Uh, the New Living Translation says a helper who is just right for him. So the idea of companion or helper, suitable helper, one who comes alongside uh, as, as an assistant to enable, to provide support, um, to work with and not against. And I think that's, that's a crucial a key uh, uh, truth here. Between male and female, there is to be a harmony, a cooperation, a working with. Um, and that's why the scripture talks about the two becoming one and, and moving together, uh, the differences and similarities blending together to form a unity, a harmony in a, in a beautiful picture that the Lord has created. So when we look at men and women, we can say that men and women are related and they're interdependent, right? As we saw there from Genesis 2 and verse 23, even physically, that relation and, and interdependence, which, which is so crucial. Uh, so men and women are related and interdependent and yet distinct. Uh, Eve's role was a complementary role to help Adam fulfill uh, the leadership role and responsibility which God had assigned to him. And again, I, I feel that's that's uh, just crucial in terms of laying down these foundations as we look at this at this topic. So just three important clarifications. The differences do not cancel out the equality. Uh, this is not a hierarchy of superiority or inferiority. Rather, it's just a designation of role and responsibility. So this is a basic truth established at creation uh, for all humanity through all time, and uh, especially so amongst the redeemed people of God, that this should be very, very evident in celebration of the pattern that, that God has created. So let's jump into the New Testament to look at some further evidence for this uh, this complementary role between men and women 
uh, the, the similarity and the distinction. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. We read, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So again, we see very clearly God ordained the place of headship given to man. So the husband is the head of, of the wife. And you'll notice, and we'll talk a little bit more, this connection, even as Christ is the head of the body, the church. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And so we see a delegated responsibility to man. Man is under the headship of Christ, and then the woman is under the headship of the man. Uh, and by the way, that, that word head there doesn't uh, just mean kind of the, the source, as in, you know, the head of a river is where it originates, but it clearly means leader. There's, there's a sense of authority that, that is conveyed by that word, and that's evidenced by the fact that, that Christ is ultimately the head. He's the head of man. He's the head of, of the church. So one of the crucial things I want to highlight very quickly is that for us men, our headship or leadership is patterned after Christ. Our leader's character should so fill us that we lead as he leads. I think this is absolutely crucial. And, and I wonder, men, are we taking the sacred calling seriously? Here's our role. Uh, here is the privilege that the Lord has called us to. Are we, in fact, rising to be the Christ-like, God-honoring, obedient, humble, loving shepherds of our homes and of, of the assemblies that, that we are meant to be. And so I, I issue that as a real challenge to my own heart and to each one of us as, as men, uh, whatever age you are, as a younger man or an older man, that, that never stops. This is a continuing pattern uh, that we are, are called to. So men, we first have to submit to the, the headship of Christ, the leadership of Christ, before we can lead anybody else, before we can lead at home or before we can lead in the assembly. And if we're not obedient to our head, Christ, um, that's going to cause a lot of issues and problems in terms of our leadership at home and our leadership in, in the assembly. So that's, that's crucial. So don't miss this intertwining of the headship and the submission. You really can't speak about the one without speaking about the other. They're two sides of, of the same coin. So let's just look at a few other scripture references here. First uh, Peter chapter three and verse one. Wives, likewise, be submissive, quite literally submit yourself to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won over by the conduct of their wives as they see your respectful and pure conduct. Uh, likewise, in uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 24, husbands submit yourself to your uh, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. Uh, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Uh, no one can submit on your behalf. Submission is something which is individual, something which is personal, and it's a decision. It's a, it's a choice, and it's not just an outward show. It's not just, mean, oh, well, you know, begrudgingly follow the rules here. 
This is meant to be something that comes from the heart, that is done joyfully. And again, I think one of the, the crucial things here is as unto the Lord. And again, ladies, are, are you taking the sacred calling of God seriously? Um, and uh, to, to represent the beauty and the obedience of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you submit as unto the Lord. Um, Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And then uh, verse 33, each of you also to love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Uh, so the relationship we're told there in Ephesians 5 between a husband and wife is actually meant to reflect the relationship that exists between Christ and, and his church. And what a beautiful thing that is. What a loving, gentle, gracious relationship that, that is. Um, that's meant to be the picture that we convey uh, through fulfilling our roles and responsibilities. So again, it's, it's certainly not just, you know, following the rules or trying to look the part. This has got to be a, a heart level uh, obedience to the scriptures that we love, to, to the Lord that we love, uh, and, and, to, and to in harmony, submission, headship, cooperation, uh, live these things out from day to day. Colossians 3, 18, 19 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter to them. Uh, that word fitting means that, that it's right. It's proper. It's it's becoming for, for a wife to, to be in submission to her own husband. But of course, that submission to a husband is in the context of the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. What a, what a high calling that is. And it says, do not be bitter toward them or quite Literally, do not embitter them. Husbands, we should not be giving our wives reason to disrespect us. Um, we should not be harsh and reasonable. Uh, as somebody put this statement, don't cause your wife pain. Don't cause your wife pain. We need to be gentle and loving and kind and faithful and gracious and patient and forgiving and encouraging, just like the Lord Jesus is to us, just like our head is towards us. So we as a head or to function that way toward our wife. And the wife is to, again, follow uh, the example of the Lord in his submission, Christ's submission to the Father and his obedience to, to the Father. Uh, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, uh, we read the statement, Husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And in all of these things, there, there is this, these spiritual dimensions we don't have time to get, get into to explore. But, but you realize that we live as believers before the principalities and powers. First Corinthians 11 talks about the whole issue of submission and head covering in, in the light of the angelic beings as a testimony to the, to, to the angels. And a part of spiritual warfare, I think, sometimes is involved in this whole thing. Uh, as, a, as a husband, disobedient husband, harsh towards my wife, if I'm not loving as Christ loved the church, my prayers will be hindered. My spiritual life will be interrupted. I will struggle spiritually when I'm not fulfilling my role and responsibility as a husband. And likewise, for, for a woman. Now, I want to just highlight a couple of things here in passing. Um, note that none of these scriptures say, a husband must make his wife submit to him and respect him. And it's unfortunate to come across many men over the years that that seems to be their goal, is somehow to 
to browbeat their their wives, to to shame them, to to always be on their case, to to blame them, to criticize, and to somehow that the, that the husband feels he's got to make his wife submit. It doesn't say that ever in the scripture. The responsibility to, to submit is laid on the wife, and she has to do that as unto the Lord. So this is spiritual, uh, very very important. Uh, for the wife to submit to a husband is rooted in her relationship and walk with, with the Lord Jesus. That's absolutely key. Likewise, it doesn't say that a wife must make her husband love her and care for her. Again, we, we know so many situations where there are problems in the marriage and inevitably the wife will say, he doesn't do his part. Uh, he doesn't lead as, as he should. He doesn't love me as he should. And, and there's a lot of perhaps nagging and pressure and criticism and blame there. And that just seems that, that just serves to break the relationship down more and more. Responsibility is, is laid on us men. Uh, we are to make the decision to choose to love, even as Christ has loved us, as Christ has loved the church. We have to accept that responsibility to love, nurture, provide for and protect uh, our wife. So again, I think just the, these are very crucial and very practical applications. So we've seen the biblical principles of headship and submission within marriage, I think, between husband and wife are very clear, the roles that we are to fulfill. But what about in the local assembly? What do we find there? <clears throat> well, I'd suggest to you as you go to the New Testament, you discover that God intends for the principle of headship, uh, of male headship, and, and, and submission from the ladies, not only in the home, but also in the leadership and the teaching, the authority of the local church. So the same principle applies because this is a creation principle that transcends all times and situations. Of course, some people say, wait a minute, you know, isn't the situation different now in the New Testament? Because, you know, we even mentioned that that phrase there from first peter 3 that we're heirs together of the grace of life and doesn't galatians 3 28 say that that basically in christ there, there's no jew no greek neither slave nor free neither male nor female for you all one in in christ uh, surely there's no second class citizens uh, within in the church and so some claim that this eliminates all the distinctions uh, it eliminates uh, any uh, separation in terms of roles and functions in the ministry of, of the church. But of course, that's a false reading of those. And we need to look at all of the teaching of Scripture, all of the teaching and context of the, of the New Testament to, to see the principle. So a few things to consider. I think consistently as you work through the New Testament, you'll find that uh, leadership is vested uh, in the in the men. Uh, some examples, Jesus did not choose any woman as members of his 12 disciples. Um, and when he sent the 12 disciples out, he commissioned them as apostles to go out. Again, he did not include any woman in that. Um, I don't think anybody could accuse the Lord Jesus of devaluing woman. Uh, you read through the Gospels and it's, it's amazing how he elevates uh, the ladies, has such respect and appreciation for them. And and Jesus is God in, in the flesh. He's the one who created uh, male and female, and he holds women in such high high regard. So there's no sense there of chauvinism. There's no sense of of inferiority uh, in terms of Jesus' perspective of of woman. 
And then as you read through the teaching epistles, you'll find that the qualifications for elders and deacons in the local assembly are all framed in masculine terms. And, and it's significant. We don't have time to look at every one of those scriptures in detail. But again, I think uh, you'll find the consistency is, is there. And then uh, the New Testament teaches women to remain silent in the church gatherings. And the New Testament also says that women are not to teach or exercise authority over men. And so we're just going to take a quick look at this in the few minutes that we, we have left here uh, to, to un unpack this a little bit. In terms of the qualifications for elders and deacons, a few scriptures you can go to. Um, if uh, Acts 14, verse 23, Acts 14, 23, as Paul passed through in his missionary journey, it says, they appointed elders in every place. And again, it's it's in the masculine form. There's no indication that women ever uh, occupied a position of, of eldership. Uh, when you look at uh, Acts chapter 6, the first appointing of the deacons, uh, the, the elders of the, the church in Jerusalem uh, instruct the people to choose from among them seven men, qualified godly men who form the first uh, deacons. Likewise, when you come into 1 Timothy chapter 3, and the qualifications are given there for elders and deacons, again, it's framed in masculine terms. Uh, Titus chapter 1 is, is another example of that. Uh, there's a reference there to the, the wife of the deacon that is also mentioned in terms of her character quality, but that is not a an open door in a sense in terms of, of having deaconesses as some people have claimed. And again, if you do a contextual study and if you do a grammatical study of that, it's very, very clear uh, that it's not teaching that that uh, the ladies can be, can be deacons. Um, and there's more to that. There's a lot that could be said in terms of the use of deacon. Uh, it's used in a general sense and in a specific sense. As the word, word apostle is sometimes very specific, uh, sometimes in a, in a looser general sense. And Phoebe in uh, Romans 16 is one of those that's used in that least uh, broader sense of just being a servant uh, of the church. She served the, the people of God. So a lot more that we, we could say about that. But I um, just want to go to some key texts. Uh, I've mentioned Acts 14, 23. I've mentioned uh, 1 Timothy 3, I've mentioned Titus chapter 1. But now in relationship to the, those last two points, that women are to remain silent in the church gatherings and not to teach or exercise authority over men. Two, two main scriptures I want to look at. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 8 through 15, and then 1 Corinthians 14, verses 33, 33 through 37. So 1 Timothy 2, 8 says, I desire then that in every place, the men should pray. I think, again, what, what we see here is that Paul gives this expectation that in every place the men are to be engaged in, in leading public prayer, uh, that men lead the, the, the meetings of the, the assembly when they come together. There's two different words that, that could have been used for, for men. There's a general word, uh, anthropos, just meaning mankind, but there's another word that is very specific, uh, that it designates an, an adult male, and that's the word that is is used there. So Paul instructed the men to take the lead at the meetings of of the assembly, and in this particular context and case in First Timothy uh, chapter two and verse eight, uh, it speaks of men leading public prayer. 
uh, in, the, in the assembly of believers. Then uh, continuing there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. And I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. You see that appeal back to, to creation. Um, so men are to be the elders, deacons, leaders, preachers, and teachers within the, the, the local assembly. Um, the NIV translates um, verse 11 of uh, 1 Timothy 2, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She is to remain quiet. So very important to remember this, that when Paul says, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over the man. He's speaking under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. This is not just Paul's you know, personal opinion. Paul wasn't a male chauvinist pig, <laughs> you know, as, as sometimes he's accused of, of being. Uh, th this is not just Paul's thoughts or ideas or feelings at all. Uh, no, this is, this is something that, that he's speaking under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. And as we see, it appeals to creation. It's not cultural. Uh, he's not appealing to the situation uh, there where, where, where Timothy is. He's not appealing to the, to, uh, the culture in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's, it's creation. So it's not cultural and it's not temporary. Uh, we're dealing with, with God's design. So God designed that within the church, the, the lady should not teach publicly or have the authority uh, that is delegated to man. And remember that it's not that man has given himself that authority. It's delegated from God. Uh, the, the idea of learning in silence is the idea of receiving the teaching that uh, the men whom God has chosen to put uh, in leadership, uh, that, that as they teach, that there is a submission, there is a reception uh, in terms of that that delegated authority. Um, <clears throat> It's not a matter of, of intelligence. It's not a matter of education. It's not a matter of knowledge, ability, giftedness. It's just a matter of God's uh, design, plan, and, and order. Um, so let's cross-reference here uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 33. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints, let your woman keep silent in the church gatherings, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands, or quite literally their own men folk at home. So it includes not only husbands, but a father, uncle, brother uh, at home, for it is shameful for a woman. Literally, it's not right for a woman to speak in church as it's fitting that she be in submission to husbands, not fitting that she should speak within the church gatherings because of God's pattern. Um, and again, in, in verse 40, uh, 37 of 1 Corinthians 14, he says, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write are the commandments of the Lord. It's not simply Paul's opinion. So when we go back to um, 1 Timothy 2.12, um, the, the essence of what he's saying here is that a woman must not rule over or have dominion over men. Uh, and I just want to highlight, it's not just in teaching. Sometimes we think, well, as long as we don't have women elders and we don't have 
uh, a woman actually, you know, standing up to teach that that's that that fulfills this. I think there's the spirit of what is being said here in the use of of any spiritual gift or the exercise of any service or ministry with within the assembly. Um, we need to be to be very careful that um, <clears throat> the spirit of what is being talked about here is that the ladies are to be in submission. And so it's, it's got to be an honest, it's got to be something genuine. Um, there's got to be the men playing their role, fulfilling their role. If the men are not stepping up to, to lead, if the men are not st stepping up to, to teach, then, then this whole pattern is going to break down. So both sides have equal responsibility here in terms of fulfilling these roles and responsibility for the home to work properly and for the assembly to work properly. So it's got to be a heart level obedience to the Lord in this intertwining of headship and submission. Very quickly, what about 1 Corinthians 11? Doesn't it say there that a woman, as long as she has her head covered, she can pray or prophesy? And what about spiritual gifts? Uh, surely spiritual gifts are equally applicable to, to ladies as to men. I think the quick answer is that women are permitted to pray publicly and to teach but outside of the context of the official gatherings of the assembly and not in authority over men. Uh, their ministry is prim primarily to children and to other women. Uh, and we can see that. I've just thrown up a couple of scriptures there. Uh, Acts 16, uh, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, Paul went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. And there was a ladies' prayer meeting happening next to the, the river there. First uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 5 and chapter 3, 15, Paul speaks of Timothy and his grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, and of the faith that first dwelt in them and now dwells <clears throat> Timothy. And uh, he says, from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred scriptures. Well, how was he? Well, his mom and his grandmother uh, very actively taught him those things. And then in Titus chapter 2, <clears throat> the older women are to encourage to teach the younger woman and teach them what it means to be uh, godly in their home, to be submissive to their husbands, to raise their children, etc. So teaching other women with, within their homes as, as well. So there's lots more that could could be said here, um, but you know there there are many many spiritual gifts, ministries, evangelism, areas of service in in which women can freely participate and make uh, you know significant contributions to gospel efforts, uh, the well-being and edification of believers, uh, without usurping the authority of of the men. I think th there's tons of of different ways. Um, um, encouraging and supporting their husbands, raising their children, teaching the children, teaching women and children, hospitality, visitation, uh, the spiritual gifts of helps, mercy, giving, encouragement, administration. All of these things can be exercised in such a way that uh, within the parameters of Scripture, are honoring to the Lord and are beneficial to, to the local assembly. So again, our takeaway from today's message is that men and women are created equal in the image of God, equal value and dignity, but with distinct God-given roles and responsibilities. I think the, the clear and plain teaching of Scripture establishes the headship, the leadership of men as God has created. Uh, but with men, with that role comes responsibility. And we are to be in submission to the Lord that we might lead. And there's a breakdown if we're not walking with the Lord. We are to lead by loving service 
and and women are to joyfully support that leadership, that God-given pattern uh, in the home and and with within the church. So just this has been a very quick run through. I realize there's a number of other issues that could be tackled and some complexities and and some other aspects of, but what about? What about this issue? What about that issue? And, you know, that's, I encourage you to take some time uh, in terms of, um, of praying through the scriptures, studying, reading the scriptures, discussing with others in, in, with an open mind, uh, with, under the authority of the scripture, obviously, uh, seeking to find God's answers, not seeking just to pick arguments um, and not seeking to simply say, well, what about this verse and take a verse in isolation? but to, to hold the overall teaching of Scripture in, in any particular verse uh, within the broader context of, uh, of you know, what it means to, to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and, and in humility to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God um, and to be joyful about his pattern. Um, I know there's a struggle, there's a clash between where society is at and 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 where we as believers come down on on the side of the side. I know there's there's issues. I know it's it's hard and it's difficult, but we don't we don't have to be nasty. We don't have to be unkind about this. I think there's a way of discussing these things and handling these things that are are very acceptable and, and godly and can be very very helpful as well. So I certainly would encourage you as you work your way through these things individually and in your home and family and, and in the assembly there as well and uh, commit yourself to to these things so thank you for the opportunity just to share these things with you and so i, I really really appreciate that